Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. What makes good work? Today on Conflict Managed, Kevin Adelsberger, founder and managing partner of Adelsberger Marketing, talks of the three P's of good work, purpose, possibility, and prosperity. Kevin tells us how he manages his growing business through taking time to listen to his employees, his semi-successful Book It program, and the detrimental effects of working in a chaotic environment. Listen as Kevin talks about what he learned working for a bad boss and board, offering advice for those caught in toxic work environments. Kevin Adelsberger is the founder and managing partner of Adelsberger Marketing, where they make creative work that grows their clients' businesses in a culture that values their team and community of Jackson, Tennessee. Kevin is also a co-founder of Our Jackson Home and serves on the board of Madison County CASA, the Co, and an advisory committee for Leadership Tennessee Next. In 2019, Adelsberger Marketing sold a portion of ownership to Alexander Thompson and Arnold CPAS and became a member of their family of firms. Good morning, Kevin, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here today. Well, let's just go ahead and begin, and will you tell us about your work history? Yeah, so I uh, have a weird career path. I uh, came to Union University to study youth ministry uh, in 2007, and uh, and I'm not doing that now. So after I graduated, I um, started working in the nonprofit world and found out that I was good at telling the stories of the organizations that I was in, and then started to do some of that on the side for other organizations, and then Eventually, which we'll get more into this in a little bit, but I quit my last real job and started my agency, and it was just me. Um, and now, eight years later, um, at least in fall of twenty-two, is eight years later. Uh, there's there's nine of us, and uh, we are trying to build a uh, a formidable mar- for- formidable marketing organization here in Jackson. That's great! Wow, that's that's a, a nice sized company starting from just you. What's the first job you had? Yeah, so my dad and my uh, uncle and me mowed uh, commercially for for a cable company all over Southern Illinois, where I'm from. And so my first real job was with them, but you know it was with family, and they both had real jobs, and so it was like a Saturday only thing, and got paid really well because it was commercial grade mowing. And so like we'd leave the house at like three a.m. on a Saturday morning, and get back at seven o'clock at night, but every other weekend, but we'd make a lot of money. Uh, and, um, and then my first like non-family real job was at a a small family owned grocery store in my hometown and McCord's market and worked there for several years before coming to, to union. What made you want to be a youth minister? Uh, I, um, didn't grow up in going to church. Um, and so, uh, my sophomore year of high school, um, my best friend, started going to church and became a Christian. And eventually I started going to church and became a Christian. And um, our youth pastor uh, was very formative uh, in my life and uh, really a, a second father to me. And uh, his name is Toby Robinson. And uh, Toby, just a great man, great family, still talk to him regularly to this day. Uh, was very helpful in helping me become the man I am today. 
And uh, so there's some of that. Uh, and then also have the gifting. Uh, I can work with people. I can speak in front of groups of people and um, people like to talk to me about their problems. And so, um, so uh, I, I've, I have done some of that. I've, I've been an interim youth pastor before and I teach Sunday school and write Sunday school material and, you know, all sorts of stuff in the world. I just don't do it vocationally. So when you think about your early work experiences, either with the family mowing, the grocery store, or I imagine you probably worked some in college, what stands out as the best early work experience? I, um, I had a lot of good experiences. I am a person who generally views uh, most of my experiences as good. So even middle school, I had a great time in middle school. And I know a lot of people think middle school is like the worst time of their lives. And so I, I, uh, I am just, I have a disposition that makes me think fondly on things. At one particular instance, that was really good. Uh, I'm a very curious person by nature. Uh, and so uh, I actually got in working with an auctioneer in Southern Illinois by the name of G. David Green, uh, who I think he's retired since then. But, you know, at an auction, there's a lot of heavy stuff to move around. And so G. David would always have a couple of high school and college guys that would just come on a Saturday and move stuff around. And so I got to do that, which is, you know, outside moving heavy stuff uh, is not a, a horrible way to make a living. Uh, but then also, uh, G. David would tell us little bits of history about everything that we moved, and I uh, enjoyed learning from him. And in fact, I uh, when I bought my wife's wedding ring, I bought it from an estate sale or an estate uh, an estate type of ring. So it was like a an older ring, and I actually got a hold of G. David and asked him to look at it for me to make sure that it was legit um, because he could he could spot a lot of details that nobody else would would spot. And so, um, but yeah, that was, that was, I mean, I had a lot of good experiences and that's kind of a unique one that I really enjoyed. So what was it about him that he was entertaining, but it's gotta be more than that. Yeah. I would say G David put us in a position. I mean, we were moving heavy stuff. It wasn't, it's not rocket science. It, it was not difficult. Um, but he had, um, a good, he, he wasn't there to criticize us. He was there to uh, we were there to help him and he needed help and and he wanted us and he had other stuff to do and so he would give instructions and let us go to work um, and and so I guess he trusted us to do what we needed to do and let us do it and uh, and not didn't micromanage us and um, and then was also just very generous with his time and sharing information and and paid fine you know pay was good and and so you know most of my jobs have had I've only had a few that didn't have good people to work for. I've been very fortunate in that. The, the grocery store is the same way. The owner of the grocery store was just is a fantastic man who cared about his people um, and let them let them do their jobs. And um, and so I've been very lucky in, in that avenue of my life. Kevin, I think what you're talking about is this testimony to a lot of it doesn't matter what we're doing so much as it matters the most of how we're treated. Uh, working for people who are kind, who empower us, who tell us what to do and give us the tools to do it, uh, treat us well uh, emotionally and also, you know, financially, make it you know, making compensation fair. It seems like this is how all of us want to be treated in just about every work environment. And of course, the kind of work you do does matter, but even what could be drudgery, mowing, moving heavy objects, uh, could also 
uh, be fulfilling or be a fine job, a fine thing to do if the circumstances are set up that way. Agreed. Agreed. And I think there's, uh, when you think about what makes good work, I think uh, there's a great book. I, you may have read it called, um, shop classes, soul craft. Um, oh. that is a great book when to think about the thought process of combining what mean, what does it mean to have good work? And, um, I am fortunate in a business that a lot of people want to be in. But I think there's uh, components of every work that can be good work if people are taken care of properly. Um, and then there's some things that could be a, could be fantastic work and the people aren't treated well or the systems aren't set up to make them succeed or to have good work that, um, that I think those are sometimes the people that are going to have really hard times with hiring and keeping staff as the generations turn. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with what you said. So much is good work because we want different kinds of professional lives, different kinds of work. We think about work differently, but you're right. It can be set up so that people are treated really well and therefore they flourish and they have a, a good environment to, to work in. It's all about the people, the setup, the systems, making it so that you it is set up for people to succeed. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's like we're working in a system that doesn't like us and doesn't want us to succeed, which is so paradoxical because they want their yeah. business to succeed. Yeah. And you've got to, you can't have the business without the people. I, when I think about good work, I, I've actually like thought through that. I've, I've thought about this a lot. Um, I think there's three kind of categories is, is purpose, possibility, and prosperity. And so like purpose, is there a mission to what you're doing? Is it aligned between the mission of the organization and what your mission is? Is like, what do you care about? Are you able to have accomplishment within that job? You know, are you able to say, I did this thing? Um, because that's important for people to feel like they've accomplished something. And then with possibility, there's the autonomy to do something, you know, like I'm going to move this box, but I get to choose how I move this box. Um, or there's, and the creativity to, to help to create a system or things like that. And then is there ability for me to advance in that position? And then, of course, prosperity is compensation, like you mentioned. Uh, is there a non-monetary reward for this job? So like with the G. David, I get to learn historical facts or my line of work is like getting to be creative for a living is like uh, is, a, is a great reward. And then does like does your environment nurture you? Do your coworkers care about you? Does your boss care about you? Does uh, does it make you want to go to work? Does it seem like you are being encouraged to grow as a person in those jobs? And so like. Those are all factors that I think about when I think about like what is good work. Um, and some of those are more important to others. Like you may have, you might care a whole lot more about the compensation than I do. Um, but I may care a whole lot more about just the ability to advance. Cause you know, I hear stories about people who just want a new title and that's all that they care about, which doesn't make a lick of sense to me, but some people care about that. You're right. It's, there are all these different elements and it seems like it's this little stew of which ones bubble up to the top, but all of them are important. I was just reading an article the other day about having friends at uh, work, having work best friends. And the study they did showed how much more productive people are when they have friends at work. And so when we sort of tell ourselves, oh, we're just punching the clock or, oh, I'm getting my work done. It doesn't matter. I mean, I can be civil, but I don't have to like these people. I don't have to want to see somebody and talk to them. 
Well, I suppose, but actually when you look at productivity, engagement, longevity, all of these marks that show that people are engaged in, in having fulfilling, flourishing work and the organization is flourishing, those markers decrease when people aren't invested. And we are humans, right? We are relational by nature, like it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in this computer age, it's, it's harder and harder, but more necessary to make sure that we make workplaces for humans and not for detached computers. Yeah, so we, you know, our company has nine people and a couple of interns at any given moment. And we are a lo- what I call local remote. And so everybody's remote and they can work from home or whatever, but we're all within a, you know, a 30 minute drive. And so we uh, regularly have um, people, we regularly have in-person meetings so that we can make sure that, you know, if we're brainstorming or if we're just having lunch together, it helps those relationships exist uh, outside of, uh, we use Slack mostly for communication. It, it exists outside of Slack or outside of email. Yeah. I mean, it's the challenge of a hybrid work environment and uh, a hybrid is fantastic and it can work. It just takes intentionality. Right? People have to intentionally think about, mm-hmm. you know, what is lost by not being in person? What is gained by being in person? What is gained by the remote work? life and making decisions based on your field, your business, your model, your people, and your customers, but really thinking those things through and playing with it, being willing to get stuff wrong and listen, right? As an owner, I'm sure you spend a lot of time listening to uh, your employees so that you can make changes as needed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we, uh, you know, we think listening is super important and as you know, when we first opened, it was me for a while. And then we had one other person and then we had two people and we were at two people besides myself for a while. And I got very close with those people because everything that I did, I worked very closely with them on. Well, at nine and really at seven and eight, and then we hit nine at seven and eight, it starts, the dynamic starts to change where um, I'm doing, and by design, doing less and less of the day-to-day work um, and working on the business and helping sell things and, and working towards that. And in fact, one of our, our eight hire was someone whose like, sole job is to make sure all the operations, operational stuff happens, which took me out of, and is taking me out of a lot of the, did this design get done? Is this customer happy? Like those types of things. And so one of the things that we started doing last year was uh, about every Monday, sometimes this does not happen. um, I try to have a one-on-one with a rotating, the rotating, rotate through all the staff. um, And so that I have an opportunity to maintain that relationship, uh, hear from them if they have any issues, and then hopefully catch any culture issues early on in the process before it really becomes a problem. Um, and, and so far we haven't had any issues, but fortunately, but, um, yes, if you're not intentional about it, um, you know, there's a great phrase in a book, uh, that's like, uh, what got you here won't get you there. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that. And so I, I know, you know, the relationships and the small dynamics that have gotten us to where we are now will not sustain us through the next level. Um, and so how can I, how can I change to, to be that? be ready for that. Are there any policies that you've put in place um, as an owner to try to have a a good, healthy work culture that didn't 
really accomplish what you thought it was going to accomplish? There's uh, there's a running joke in our office about I started a book club. Actually, as a gr- kid growing up in the 90s, there was this program with um, with Pizza Hut that if you read books during the summer, you'd get pizza. It's called the Book It program. And so we have an Adelsberg Marketing Book It program. And not that this has not gone well, but it's not like it's not been adopted like I thought it would have been. Uh, and so there's like a gift card atti- attached to every book that you could read on our list. And uh, it's not been not been well, re- it's not been it's not like anybody's mad about it. It's just not been really adopted like I thought it would. Uh, but we haven't really had anything backfire. Um, and if it does, it's usually in a way that our team communicates to me pretty quickly that, hey, let's not do that. Mm-hmm. Um and it's, but I, I have been fortunate enough to not have stepped on a giant line man, land mines like that. I love the book at club. I love a book club. I'm in one right now. And um, I love that idea of uh, uh, the, the, the pizza. I remember that as well, the, the pizza token or uh, for reading books. I think that's fantastic. I do too. So it's a running joke. It's a running joke because nobody really participates. And so I was like, every six months, I'll, I have a reminder in my to-do app where I, I read, I read two or three books a month. That's kind of what I do in some of my downtime. And so I'm always adding books to that list every six, every couple of months, once a quarter, I'll add books that I've read to that list. And I'll just be like, just a reminder, everybody, I know that nobody wants to do this, but there's this book club here that exists. So I love that example because it, it is an example of how when you're in leadership, you have this great idea and it is a great idea, but it might not, people just might not like it as much, right? Like whenever you're excited about a new book or a new movie or some music and you share it with somebody and you expect them to be like, oh my gosh, this is the best. And it doesn't hit with them. And there's nothing wrong with what you like and nothing wrong with what they like. It just didn't do what you wanted, but that's a part of an agile company, trying new things. Um, some things were surprised they don't work because they still are good ideas, but maybe not for this time at this place. And sometimes, you know, in a company who's trying to have a healthy work environment, the team might have an idea and it just doesn't work and achieve what they want. And so you try something else, right? It doesn't even mean it's a failure. It's just a process, right? A price always, like you said, it's a moving target. If we want a healthy work environment, right, we have to change. And then of course, just with automation and uh, where tech is and the future of work, uh, you have to be willing to, to, to sustain that culture to be able to pay attention to the, the pulse and change. So when you look at your work history, um, have you had any uh, negative experiences either with a person or an organization that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah. So the whole genesis of me owning my own business comes from a horrible work environment. So I um, worked at a nonprofit in Jackson that will remain nameless for reasons that will be clear. I, I am not an anxious person or a stressed person. Generally, I've been anxious and really stressed at two different events in my life. And one of them is of monumental importance and it's not the business. Uh, and then the other one, it was this situation. And, uh, and so it was uh, a really, it turned into a really bad environment very quickly to the point where like I had anxiety about going to work um, and which is very weird for me, um, like college finals, whatever, I don't care. I'll be fine. This was like painful to go to work. 
and then they started firing people and I thought I was on the list. And so there was a lot of uh, secrecy and mistrust and possibly some deception that went on as well. So there was someone in charge, uh, some people in the organization overthrew them, got them kicked out. And then they were in charge and, you know, started making all these changes because they didn't like how this other person was running running the organization. And I really learned like what a bad boss looks like and what a bad board looks like because I serve on the board of several organizations uh, and I know what a bad board member looks like and I do my best to avoid doing that because they let all this happen. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not happy that I went through it. I mean, it was a, a negative experience, uh, but having been, I got to quit though. So that's probably the brightest spot is I got to walk in and do the, like I'm quitting uh, and, uh, and that was a lot of fun, actually. I've never really been able to quit somewhere like in a, in a victorious moment type, like, oh, I'm moving to college or something, you know, can't, I'm moving away, can't continue to work here. Like, no, like I'm quitting and you can't do anything about it kind of thing. Uh, so that was kind of fun. But other than that, it was a really negative experience. And, uh, but because of that, I was able to, I was kind of forced to do something else. And my wife and I decided to give it a shot on starting a business. And uh, that was eight years ago. So we're doing okay. I'm glad it has a happy ending. Yeah, so far. Who knows what tomorrow holds. <laughs> so how long had it turned negative that you were still at that envir- in that environment? Yeah, so I actually worked there twice. Um, once under the best boss I ever had. Wow. Uh, or one of my best bosses I ever had. Uh, her name was Sharon Thompson and she was fantastic. And and she, uh, I remember a specific story about Sharon is like, she, she allowed us to do our job, empowered us and encouraged us to do our jobs. And I remember one time we were walking through the parking lot and Sharon just stops and Sharon's like a, like a kind of a prim and proper businesswoman. And, and she like stops and picks up trash on the ground in the parking lot. And I'll just never forget her, this director of marketing for this sizable nonprofit in town, stopping and picking up trash in the parking lot. And it wasn't like a giant bag of trash or something. It was just like a little thing. And she just didn't want that to be the perception of the organization she was working on. And that stuck with me. And uh, I have all the respect in the world for her, uh, not just for that, but for the way she lives her personal life too. And um, and so that, and then I left to do something else and came back under a new new regime. And the new regime was when it got really bad. And so I was there for a little over a year um, and it was probably the last four months uh, that got really, that got really toxic. So during the, that time, that year, especially the last four months, were you, because when we're caught in conflict, right, it's very difficult to uh, do our job, right? It's hard to be on mission because so much of our thought and, you know, there's stuff going on in our brains that we're thinking about is this going to happen? Am I going to see this person? Are they going to make this comment? Are they going to whatever? How did it affect your actual work? Well, we got, there was a lot of distraction, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you, you move into self survival mode. Uh, This organization at the time had a very vindictive practice of if you worked for them, you got a cell phone and a lot of people made that their primary cell phone. Well, they took it back and the phone number that was with it. Um, and so it was very vindictive. And and so like my the guy who I was working with 
older guy technology was not his strength so like he's like i think they're gonna can me can you help me get all of my phone numbers off of here and all of our my photos of my grandchildren off of here and i was like so yeah so we took half a day just to clear get his phone like set up so that he wouldn't be out in the cold if they fired him and they did later that week um and so like you know then you're and i am a big believer in clarity and and if we're all rowing the same way and we're all going to the same goal but when there's such conflict and negativity and toxicness that you're afraid for your job or you are um or there's big enough organization where there's pods of conflict and and people maybe are trying to get to the same goal but trying to do it in very different ways or in a way that makes them look better you are diverting attention from the goal to make sure that you look better or you're protecting yourself. And so instead of 100% towards the goal, you might be 80% or 60% towards the goal. And the other 30 to 40% is like, how do I ensure that I'm safe or avoid this person or protect the situation? Uh, and there was just so much of that. And um, and it's not a great way to serve um, your customer or your audience or um, your stakeholders. Uh, and it's it's uh it's what humans do unfortunately but you know in a good work environment you, you should be able to avoid that yeah I work with um, um a man named David Little he has a conflict resolution company in London and he says and I agree with him that in every organization a managing conflict should be a strategic priority because conflict's going to happen because we're human it's normal there's nothing wrong with conflict but if you don't have in, an intentional way to deal with conflict, uh, it's very, it very quickly can get out of control and it's to the detriment of everybody. It's to the detriment of the mission, the, the people that you're serving, whatever you're trying to make, it just, it just derails what, what you're up to. And it just, it really just still astound me that it seems to me in a way, it's business, basic business practices to take care of the inevitable. There will be conflict. It doesn't have to spin out of control, but that means you have to have a plan. You must have a plan. The board needs to know how to deal with conflict, needs to be willing to step up and deal with conflict. The person, you know, the CEO, the president, whoever is running the organization needs to be very confident with knowing how to deal with conflict and that the people that work directly under her or him know how to deal with conflict and are willing to do it for the good of the person who's in the conflict, the good of the organization, the health of the community. Mm -hmm. So why, why Kevin, why do people not do this? Uh, I think that's bigger picture thinking. And I think humans are really bad at big picture thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, we want our little kingdom. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and I think that's exactly, I mean, that's the answer. As you were saying that people start looking at themselves and their piece of the pie and I'm in charge now. I, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm an organization. is not about you. You are a part of it. You are significant, but you are one part of the organization. And if you don't think that organization has your best interests at heart, you're not going to be inclined to think that way either. And so, um, you know, I, uh, hopefully, I want to lead my business in such a way that my team knows that I care about them as people and, and not just as parts of a company. And that's easier to do in some ways because I'm the, I'm the owner, right? And so I'm kind of got the, the last stop in the line. That's harder to do in an organization that you have to entrust to other people. 
Is that difficult to not micromanage being the owner? I would think that would be, I mean, if you're 50, 60, you're just not going to be in the, you know, your fingers yeah. aren't going to be in all the pies, but it seems like it'd be so tempting, the, the quality control. Yeah. And, and that is a battle we, I fight regularly is how do I, how do I maintain quality and also not drive everybody insane in the process? And so, um, you know, I think a good part of that is onboarding when we start making sure people know kind of what our expectations are. And then also seeing what expectations have been put out there previously. And then, you know, I do sign off on a lot of things before they leave the door still. Um, but it's usually at the end. And when there is conflict, um, which there's not a ton of, um, because we're all rowing in the same direction currently, that could change tomorrow. You know, it, it, you never know. But currently, you know, I try to give the benefit of the doubt to our creatives and say, hey, you you think this is the right creative decision. Can you explain to me why? And unless I have other than unless I have some really specific reasons as to why not, um, I try to trust their their gut. And sometimes there's things that they don't know about that I do that I fail to communicate or didn't think I'd have to communicate like, oh, this is a this reference is a thing that we don't want to reference. Um, I try to ensure I try to give the deference to their opinions because my goal is to hire people who are better better than me at things. And uh, and that's served me pretty well up to this point. That's a great idea, right? The the goal of a smart business person is to surround themselves with people who are smarter, right? And you've got a bunch of creative and uh, professional people in a room. Uh, how sad not to take advantage of all of that potential and opportunity because we are better together. But that means that managers have to get out of their way and come alongside, right? Be a part of the team and help them, as you said, like onboarding is so important. And as you mentioned, clear and direct communication so that, um, you know, you don't want your people guessing what they're supposed to be doing. Because that's no fun. I, I've been in um, situations where I'm not sure what exactly you want me to do. So how do you do it? Yeah, we, uh, in about 2020, I started to realize when we were at six people, I was like, the most important asset I have as a company are the brains of the people on the team, not just their hands. They're very good with their hands, right? They can do design or whatever, or run a camera, uh, but the creativity in their head. And so we've been very intentional about creating a, a quarterly brainstorming session for all of our customers that we go through. And we've got a, a framework that we use that allows us to get a lot of good ideas out quickly. And those things go into practice constantly. And, and I've seen a big lift in the cre creativity that we've been able to put out as an agency after really empowering people to be more creative, but then also giving them giving them a range in which to do it um, and, and a regular tool. And then also there's a component where everybody gets to participate in that. And then they get an opportunity if they don't feel super creative in their normal job. I think I, I, I would, or I would fight people over the fact I, like I work with a lot of accountants um, and they always tell me they're not creative. And I'm like, I'm always ready to fight people over that. Cause like everybody's creative. It's just some people have been better trained to, use that creativity and some people have more outside of the box thinking, but I think everybody's creative. And so, um, but the brains of the team are huge. And so we work on regularly working on ways to get them more opportunities to do that. 
Do you have any advice for people who find themselves in an environment that's really unhealthy for them? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to do that. It's hard to be in that spot. Um, but also like you don't know where the next opportunity is. And so even if you're not in a in a good spot right now, working hard and doing the things that you know you're supposed to be doing, none of this quiet quitting stuff, honestly, like that concept drives me bonkers because it's like you're never going to find anything better if you're being, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do right now. Like being faithful with what we've got to do right now uh, sets us up for success later. And it may be, uh, we don't even know what that success is going to look like, but like, you know, if we had the time, there's a, a bunch of little things that I did in the past that helped me set up to do this job that I would never even thought of connecting in the past. And so, um, you know, working hard, and also not burning bridges, even though it's really tempting. Um, and I, and I've burned a few bridges in my day, but it's very particular. And, and there's people that I will avoid talking to if I see them in public because they were so unpleasant to work with. Um, but I don't know if they know that. And so, uh, you know, I think maintaining those relationships because you may need a good word somewhere, uh, but also working hard now sets you up to be successful at something later, even if you don't exactly know what that is. Yeah, I absolutely agree because we get to decide what kind of work ethic that we have. We get to decide what kind of attitude. And if you have someone who's a micromanager or somebody who you think is out to get you, you know, just reframing. And I really do think having compassion for other people. So if someone is micromanaging me, what is going on with them? Because it's not about me. Unless you take stock and your work is, is subpar. I mean, self-knowledge is very important. So what is going on that this person is treating me? What, what do they see or what's going on with them? And taking your power back, right? If somebody is annoying you, it's not because they're doing annoying things, but because it doesn't annoy everybody. It does annoy you. That means it's within your power to change that. It's within your power to figure out read books, listen to podcasts about how to work with a micromanager or how to work with someone who's inconsistent. There's a lot of help out there. And if you reframe that and think, okay, I'm here because I have to, maybe I'm a single mom and I can't move anywhere right now, but I can still do something about the call center that I'm in and the boss who is not treating me well, there is something I can do about it. I'm assuming we're not talking about illegal behavior, you know, not sexual harassment, someone being physically threatened, but just what a lot of people have to deal with. There are things that you can do to empower yourself. And and I encourage all my listeners to make that choice because I know a lot of you are in toxic work environments, but you can do something. And that starts with you. I usually don't go on rants like this, Kevin, in my podcast. You're fine. I don't (laughs) don't disagree with anything that you just said. I just was thinking of a friend who... um, and I, I think a lot of people, this is, was my situation in many jobs that I've been in. The conflict wasn't with me because I get along with people, but I would see the conflict in others and like, you know, the innocent bystander, but you still feel the blast radius and it's still gossip circles and you're unable to do your job because, you know, this person is hurting or this person's doing that. And it's very or you're uncomfortable. afraid it's going to turn on you. Yeah, it can turn on you, but you think, and we're told this is none of your business. So don't look this way, but that's so false. It's not true. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look into the world of work and you think about 
what you want to have happen to bring about flourishing work environments so that the individuals are treated with dignity and respect, um, mm-hmm. like your kids when they're out in the work environment. What, what do you want work to look like? Well, I want I want everybody to have good work. And based on some of those factors we talked about earlier, um, I think work is important for people. I think it brings dignity. I think it's, um, you know, and I think there's levels of good work. Um, I mean, any anything can be good work, but it's like there's levels within that. I think, you know, being valued in your job uh, just helps you walk a little taller uh, and helps you think a little bit better about yourself. And and I think a rising tide floats all boats. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's going to be some major reckonings in the next 10 years um, with dealing with another generation of employees coming into the workforce that I think it's going to um, upset some people's apple carts in some more traditional industries that may be less good of work. And so it's going to be an interesting ride. Um, I am fortunate to be in a business that I think um, an industry that people want to work in, not that they have to work in. And it's those have to work in jobs um, that I think are going to be the most challenging to continue to staff and continue to, to, to work because our population will start decreasing at some point in the near future. And uh, there's more going to be more and more remote and uh, and then also just dealing with things like automation and artificial intelligence coming online, like the work environment is going to change drastically. Um, and so um, it's 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 a little it's murky. It's hard to sell. Um, but hopefully, um, you know, things like our TCATs in our communities and our Tennessee College of Applied Technology is what TCAT stands for. And um, things like that are equipping people for the next generation of, of jobs. And um, and hopefully we're around to hire some of those people too. Yeah, it is really hard to look out and see what is the work going to be like. But what we know is going to be the case, no matter what the work, physical work looks like, is going to be populated with human people. I know, whatever the machines will take over and they'll continue to, automation will happen, but we are going to be doing something. And I do believe in human nature. Humans need have basic kinds of needs. We have belonging, um, love, care, uh, being industrious, active. As you said, work, work is very human. And I think it is essential to who we are, being creative. But I think really taking seriously human nature as we go forward is going to, I think, help any industry. If you think about it, how you apply humans to your industry and treat them well, you already have a leg up. Because it used to be forever. Why does somebody want to work here? Because they want a job. You know, that's your benefit. You get paid and you're lucky. Take this paycheck. You're lucky we're employing you. I don't think that is going to be the case into the future. You know? No, and, and, I, and I think the more, well, we'll have, a, we'll have an, I, this is a little off topic. I think we'll have a societal problem with the amount of jobs that are going to become automated and the skill level required for the remaining jobs. Um, so that's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, it's going to come for things in my industry as well. So, um, but hopefully until then, we'll we'll have a good work environment and be able to do creative work. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me, Mary. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Conflict Managed. And thank you, Kevin, for your time and insights. 
there's someone that you would like interviewed on Conflict Managed, please send us an email at three, it's the number three, P, conflictrestoration.com. And please like and share this podcast so we can get the news out about how to have healthy work environments. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.